This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily. Today is Wednesday, February 21st, 2024. On today's episode of the show, we are going to be gathering around the virtual water cooler and talking about what we've been up to. My name is Ben Pearson. I am an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Brad, I wanted to read a couple of listener emails before we get started. Uh, Yi Feng from Boston wrote in responding to our discussion about Moana 2 being converted from a TV show into a theatrical feature film. And I was expressing some concern about that, but Yifeng reminded me in this email that Toy Story 2, which was originally being planned as a direct-to-video release, but ended up being revamped for theatrical, and that scenario worked out pretty well. Um, Do you have any thoughts about the Moana 2 thing being converted from a a show into a movie that's coming out, like, in November? Uh, I have this pretty much the same reservations that I I feel like you already expressed, especially because... um, Disney back in the day, they used to do a really like just crappy phoned in animated sequels. And this kind of feels like maybe they felt like they could easily salvage a TV series and turn it into a theatrical release at a time when they weren't going to have a lot of theatrical releases on the table because of like the actor strike and whatnot. And maybe Mm -hmm. they're trying to like maybe get a little bit more money out of this uh, than they otherwise would have. I guess that's probably my biggest concern. Yeah. Yeah. I hope that there's enough time between now and November when this thing actually comes out that they will be able to give it the Toy Story 2 treatment and and sort of, yeah, revamp what they need to and uh, devote the resources necessary to make this uh, as good as it can be. Because I think a lot of people really, really love that first Moana movie and be very disappointed if the sequel ends up sucking. So uh, we will see about that. And then Sue from Colorado wrote in. Uh, I just wanted to read this real quick. She said, uh, your reviews of old films are always interesting. And I was thrilled to listen to your review of The Ghost and Mrs. Muir this week. It's been my all-time favorite movie for decades. A lovely blend of romance, comedy, history, ghost story, and drama, along with having a wonderful score. I'm so happy that you enjoyed it too. So thank you for that, Sue. And yeah, I just wanted to give use this as an opportunity to recommend, once again, The Ghost and Mrs. Muir, which is a really, really fun movie. Um, and I've got another old movie that I, I'm going to talk about a little bit later on. So uh, let's get into it, Brad, here. Um, I read A Farewell to Arms recently by Ernest Hemingway. What is your relationship to Hemingway's work? Uh, s- sparse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, I read The Sun Also Rises a couple years ago and did not really care for that very much. So I was like, all right, I'm going to give this another shot, this whole Hemingway thing and read A Farewell to Arms, which I know is widely considered a masterpiece. But I personally found this to be extremely tedious to read in the first half when the protagonist is 
injured in World War One and is basically laid up at an Italian hospital and is forging this romance with one of his nurses. Uh, thankfully, I thought it, it sort of picked up around the halfway point because it felt like things started actually happening and some narrative momentum was finally beginning to form. So that helped things out a little bit. But then the ending happens, which is like one of the, I'm not going to say what happens exactly, but it's one of the bleakest and most depressing endings that I've ever read in any book. So this was a real roller coaster for me. And uh, I basically came away from the experience just being like, you know what? Hemingway just isn't one of my guys. So uh, there's that. I'm I'm the guy who has to say I didn't like A Farewell to Arms on a podcast. So well, but hey, um, I'm 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 proud of you for reading classic books because I am terrible when it comes to keeping up with uh, old old school literature. Yeah, I am too. And I'm I uh, one of my um, I, I don't really make New Year's resolutions this year, like in a in a strict way. But one of the, my sort of like loose aspirations, I guess, is to read 22 books in in a year. And last because last year I read 11 books and I was like, I'm just going to like get ambitious and try to double it. Damn. Um, and so I don't know if I'm going to actually be able to to keep up with that pace or whatever. But uh, I wanted to try to mix a few classics in there just because it's so easy to just like get caught up in new stuff. And you know, there are so many, like every time you do that, the, uh, the accumulating pile of classics just that I've not read just seems to get bigger and bigger. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to finally sort of dig into some of these older things and try to, uh, check some off my list and things like that. And so, um, unfortunately a farewell to arms was not really my favorite experience. So, yeah, I mean, I don't begrudge you not not liking Hemingway anyway. He's from Oak Park, Illinois, which is a real yuppie rich suburb of Chicago. So (laughs) fuck off Ernest Hemingway. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that reminds me so much, Brad, the way that you said that of uh, the bit for the running gag from Parks and Rec about um, what is the next town over? It's like, Eagleton. oh, Eagleton. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just the way that uh, that Pawnee residents would refer to Eagleton. That's, that was very much that energy there. Um, OK, let's get into what we've been watching. What have you been watching recently? Uh, a bunch of stuff. I've, I've actually been on a little bit of. Uh, a music documentary kick, just a just a short one, but I I have some, my eyes on some other ones that I'm gonna watch too, just to kind of keep it going. Uh, I watched the Greatest Night in Pop on Netflix, uh, which is a documentary about the creation um, of the the very famous uh, like ch- I guess you could say uh, charity uh, song that they they made um, uh, back in the the mid '80s. It was such a huge deal uh, because they got like all of the biggest names in music to sing this song, we are the world. Um, and so like the documentary itself is about getting uh, like this incredible superstar lineup together, which includes Michael Jackson, Lionel Richie, Stevie wonder, Cindy Lauper, Bruce Springsteen, Bob Dylan, uh, Huey Lewis, like uh, you, you, you name it, like uh, the, the biggest stars of music in the eighties, uh, we're pretty much all there to record this song. And the documentary chronicles like how they got them all together, how Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie wrote the song, uh, what the process of like what was of actually recording the song and shooting the music video, which they did simultaneously because they knew they were only ever going to have everybody in the same room that one time. So they didn't do it like how you might they how they probably would do it today by having like everyone record parts separately and mixing it together. They got everybody into the same studio to record this song one night after the American music awards. And it's just really cool to watch um, everyone talk about how it came together. And they have such great archival footage of when they did the recording because they had like three or four cameras there recording what was happening the entire time. So it was, it was very cool to, to just watch just like such, such incredible music royalty together singing and goofing around and whatnot. Yeah, I saw this at Sundance and really, really enjoyed it. Um, it's just like the that uh, the bevy of footage that they had from inside of the room is really what like elevates this above anything else. Like they just have like a pure treasure trove there of uh, really, really amazing stuff. Did you have like a, a particular moment or um, something that stood out to you of, you know, whether it was an interaction between two of these superstars or like um, somebody trying to nail a line or something like that, that really like... Uh, do you think that you're going to that's going to stick with you a lot? Um, so one of my favorite things was having Dan Aykroyd randomly be there. Um, that was just a great little bit and they never explain it. Uh, but there, um, Mike Ryan, though, uh, over at Uproxx, he did an interview with the director and he asked about that. And apparently they had a little bit where they did explain how Dan Aykroyd ended up being there. But it kind of interrupted like the flow of the overall movie. And it felt like they were taking like an unnecessary detour. 
But basically what it comes down to is like Dan Aykroyd, I mean, uh, he he essentially was a big recording star in his own right because the Blues Brothers album was huge with John Belushi. But uh, Dan Aykroyd remembers it that apparently he happened to be nearby because he was looking for a new business manager. But somebody thought that he was looking for a new talent manager and the manager he was meeting with was like, hey, do you want to go over to this like we are the world thing that they're doing over nearby? And he was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> so, um, But I, I think two of my favorite things were there's a great moment with Cindy Lauper when she's recording uh, her bit and they, they can't figure out like this this weird thing that's going on with the sound. They keep hearing like weird background no- noise or something like that. And it's really like kind of driving them crazy. And then they realize that all of her bracelets and necklaces she has on <laughs> are making noise in the microphone. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, and then I also really uh, respected uh, how like Huey Lewis was, uh, how he approached like his bit. Like he, it was, it was really endearing seeing him get like nervous, like building up to the part that he had to do, especially mm-hmm. since he also had to like adapt on the spot to like change up what they were doing a little bit. And so that, that was just really cool to see. Yeah, I love that. Um, man, I, I have to disagree with that director of that project, though. I feel like the Dan Aykroyd thing was so distracting to me where I was just like, why the hell is he here? Yeah. <laughs> What's going on? I would have loved that explanation to actually make it into the movie. But I'm glad that you told me now and that now all of our listeners know as well, because I had no idea. And I was just going to be like bugging me for the rest of my life. So, <laughs> um, OK, what else have you been watching, Brad? Uh, so piggybacking off of that, I, I remembered that last year, uh, Showtime released a documentary called Thriller 40 which was about uh, it was released in conjunction with the 40th anniversary of Michael Jackson's Thriller album. Uh, and it's about the making of that incredible album, which has uh, an unbelievable amount of hits on it. This is, this is the album that has uh, Billie Jean and Beat It um, and Pretty Young Thing. Of, of course, Thriller, because that's obviously the, the title of the album. Um, it has uh, The Girl's Mind with Paul McCartney. So it's just it was a huge album. It's one of the the biggest selling albums of all time. One of the best albums ever made. Um, and this is a really cool documentary that dives into just like where Michael Jackson's career was, what drove him to do Thriller. They talked to a lot of like the sound engineers and people who were like in the the studio and the booth working on it uh, with him at the time. And like for obviously, there's always been you know controversy surrounding Michael Jackson and whatnot. Um, you know, and so like you, you take that all into consideration when, when you hear about all these things, but like, it still doesn't change the fact that when you, when you hear people talk about how Michael Jackson worked on music and like what, what he did for music, um, and just, just kind of like how much of a genius he was when it came to songwriting and and doing these innovative things, both as like a singer and a, and a dancer and just kind of like this, this, this pop culture icon. Um, it's just, this really like puts in perspective just how, big this album was how influential it was it has a lot of great talking heads featuring uh people like like usher and and whatnot um and just just all the cool details about the album they they have um the raw demos that michael jackson recorded himself which when he like was writing songs himself he would basically record all the different parts of the song like with his voice kind of like an acapella version in a way like creating the instrumentals with his voice and like singing the lyrics and there's some some like moments in the lyrics where he doesn't have the full lyrics figured out he just kind of sings a medley to the tune of what he knows is going to be there even though he mm-hmm. hasn't figured out the lyrics yet um and that, that was that was really cool to hear those and then there's also my favorite bit of this documentary is um and i, I forget what his specific role was uh but he he worked on the song thriller with michael jackson and so he's in this room surrounded by like all this recording equipment and like synthesizers in these big like you know blocks that kind of like like little like servers but there's like little keyboards on them and like switchboards and everything and he starts going through step by step he's like he, he doesn't tell you what song it is but he starts he starts bringing up little bits of it uh layer by layer so he starts with a very simple like drum beat and then he adds like a little thing. And each time he's adding something, he's explaining like what the inspiration was and like why they brought it in there and that kind of thing. And so like you hear it, it sounds familiar. You might pick it up as it's going along. Uh, and like and as he's as he's doing it, it, like it sounds like this cool beat. You know, there's it's got a great, great rhythm to it and everything. And then all of a sudden he's like, he's like, he's like, and then we then we added this and it goes. <laughs> and it's like, holy shit. <laughs> uh it's such it was it's such a cool like way to hear like the song come together like that but um yeah if you if you if you, if you like to michael jackson's music if you you know love thriller as, as an album um and there's some great bits about the making of the thriller uh music video as as well which is very cool so uh yeah i would encourage you to check that out it's on uh showtime slash paramount plus 
Okay, cool. That's uh, Thriller 40. Have you ever listened to the Song Exploder podcast, Brad? No, but I, I watched um, some of the episodes because uh, they, they turned it into a series on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, th- when you're describing the way that that guy was walking through sort of like step by step of the different layers of the song and stuff that reminded me of Song Exploder. So I just wanted to recommend that um, to our listeners and to you if you hadn't seen that already or listened to that already, because uh, that podcast and that show does a similar thing. And it's always just really, really cool to hear, you know, some of your favorite songs like broken down to the yeah. granular granular uh, levels and stuff like that. So anyway, very cool. Uh, OK, what else have you been watching? Uh, I did some horror catch up from last year. So a couple things that I just didn't get around to watching and missed around their respective, you know, holidays, if you will. Uh, I watched The Exorcist Believer, uh, which is David Gordon Green's attempt to do a new Exorcist sequel that follows in uh, Halloween footsteps by kind of ignoring every other sequel that came after the original Exorcist. Um, and I remember hearing a lot of like hate against this movie that it was like bad and like oh yeah its reputation is awful yeah but i didn't think it was bad i didn't think it was particularly good i just think it's like super forgettable uh it doesn't necessarily do anything new as far as like exorcism movies are concerned um and it it doesn't even come close to touching you know like the the legacy of of the exorcist itself if i had if i had one major complaint about it is it's how they choose to handle the legacy aspect of the exorcist. Cause it kind of feels like they, they kind of slow rolled you and they're like, Hey, come in to see this. And that's like, Oh, nope. We're th- chucking that out the window. Mm. Um, and I won't, I won't spoil that just in case anybody hasn't seen it yet. You know, even though it's been out for, you know, a few, a few months now, but um, so I, I didn't, I didn't dislike it, but I just was, I guess, underwhelmed by it. Cause I don't think it's terrible. It's just, it just hits all the same beats that you expect from, your average exorcism movie you know so i think that when you're if you're going to do an exorcist sequel like this you got to do something that at least feels somewhat refreshing and it's it's got to be more than oh this time it's two girls <laughs> so uh, it sounds like you have a, a middling reaction to it i skipped it brad would you recommend that i watch it even though you didn't like love it uh if i guess if you're like a completionist kind of thing uh you know like if you feel like you you want to you know be be in the know on what's going on with with the exorcist but like i yeah i don't think there's anything particularly yeah it doesn't really have any drawing power i think for you to go up really go out of your way to see it okay yeah i'm so curious to know what universal and peacock are going to do about the other two movies that i think they paid a combined 400 million dollars for the rights to make three exorcist movies um and they're they're like pot committed basically at this point so i'm just really curious to see what they do because that first movie or most recent movie i I should say uh did not perform very well at the box office so um yeah we'll have to see how that shakes out uh what do you think about the other horror movie that you saw I watched Thanksgiving, uh, and this, on the other hand, was super satisfying in the silliest way possible. <laughs> uh, this movie is was so much gorier than I anticipated. I think it's just because uh, I forgot how crazy Eli Roth likes to get with <laughs> these kinds of things. <laughs> um, but but man, there are some really great brutal kills uh, in this movie, and it's 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 very much uh, an, an over the top uh, kind of thing where you know like the the acting isn't particularly great, and there's you know some stuff that's a that's a little absurd, but uh, it has like a little bit of a a scream vibe to it in a way, and the Thanksgiving angle makes for some really uh, interesting kills, and so so I, I had some fun with it. It was it was very enjoyable. Yeah, same here, same here, definitely. Uh, okay, what else have you been checking out? Uh, I also caught up with some other twenty twenty three movies. Um, I I ca- caught Nimona, the animated movie that is nominated for best animated film uh, this year. And have you seen Nimona yet? I have. I really liked it. I really liked it too. But I do want to say this. Um, for, I don't know. I would love to go and read more about the inspiration behind like the animation style and whatnot. Because there was something about this animation style that kind of bugs me. Because it feels incomplete. And I know it's an intentional choice to make it look the way it does. But it's it's. I like it, my animation when it's like when it's pretty detailed and this feels like an, an, uh, an animation style that's somewhere in between like their first animatics and like the final product where they haven't like added certain textures and things like that yet. And it just, it kind of bugs me a little bit because I, hmm. I, I like the character design. Uh, I like the production design. I, I, I really dug the, the kind of mix of like a, a medieval fantasy environment with a futuristic world. That was a very cool concept to see come to life. 
But just something about the animation style didn't always sit well with me. There are still some very beautiful shots uh, in the movie that that shine through that I was like, oh, wow, that looks great. You know, um, and it was kind of like in spite of my my reservations about seeing seeing that animation style brought to life. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, what, what do you think about the animation? I loved it. I just thought it was cool because I, I hadn't really seen anything that looked quite that way before. But I, I definitely understand. Like, I, I've um, largely stayed away from a lot of the Star Wars animated shows just because I don't like physically how they look like the aesthetic bugs me um so i I certainly can understand you know being averse to uh the idea of spending whatever two hours in a world that just kind of like looks um if not repulsive some of the star wars stuff frankly looks pretty repulsive to me and and nimona it sounds like it did not reach that level for you but like I, I totally get the idea of being like, ah, you know what? I just don't know if I can look at things that look this way for that long. So um, I, I didn't yeah. find that experience. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't have that experience watching the Mona myself. But Thankfully, the, the story and the characters were engaging enough that like I, I wasn't, you know, super bugged by it the entire time. Um Chloe Grace Moretz in particular as Nimona is great. She has like these, these really funny little mischievous devilish moments that I thought mm-hmm. were, were really funny. Um, it's got some great dark comedy to it. Uh, but yeah, I just, and of course I, I really love the, the thematic elements of, you know, this, this idea of um, being, being othered and uh, yeah, just a, just a good story. Really great fantasy movie. So have you seen all of the uh, contenders now for best animated feature? Are you caught up on that category? Uh, I haven't seen the boy and the heron, but that's just because, and I, I'm sorry. And I don't know if I'll get emails about this or people <laughs> screaming in their car. I am, I am not a studio Ghibli person. Uh, I have not seen a single Miyazaki movie. Uh, HT told me, you know what I need to hop on it. And I, I consider it every now and then my uh, kind of tied to the, the, the Nimona uh, reaction is, I'm I'm a little averse to uh, anime as a style, mm-hmm. um, and so it's it's harder for me to get in. I've heard those that the Studio Ghibli movies, especially Miyazaki, kind of transcends that. Even if you don't really like anime, because the stories are so good, and there are aspects of the movies that you know, I what I know about you know movies like My Neighbor Totoro and Spirited Away and whatnot that they're they do sound like they could be very cool. I just I just haven't yet taking the time to like really try and dig into I, I I will at some point but yeah but yeah so I haven't seen the boy in the heron I would personally recommend checking out uh, the castle of Cagliostro if that is still streaming on Netflix because that was Miyazaki's first directorial movie and that's still one of my favorites it's one that's like not talked about really in the same uh sort of like respectful tones as a lot of those other um, it's, uh, Studio Ghibli movies that you just mentioned. Um, but I think it's a really great entry point because the story is so much fun and the characters are so awesome. And it's like this great sort of heist adventure kind of thing. And I think you would really, really like it on that level. So um, if you're looking for you know a way to, uh, to sort of dip your toe in, I would recommend Castle of Cagliostro. But okay. Um, okay. okay, so actually let's take a break and then you have two more movies that we want to talk about. We'll be right back. Okay, Brad, you saw Dune Part 2. What did you think about it? I did. Uh, and so I will I'll, first I'll put this out there that uh, I was not completely enamored or blown away by the first Dune. Uh, I liked it. I thought it was a pretty good sci-fi adventure, um, but it felt like half a movie to me because it is Part 1. Um, and it just, I just didn't get quite so wrapped up or engaged by it. I know Dune has a, a long legacy because of the novels and whatnot. Uh, and people just like that world. And uh, I'm a big fan of, of Delhi Villeneuve. You know, I, I love Arrival. Um, and so I, like I said, I liked it, didn't love it. But I was very interested, much interested in Dune Part 2. The trailers looked great. You know, wanted to see how the story continued because Dune is not a book series that I kept up with, you know, when I was younger or even mm-hmm. now. So watching Dune Part 2 was, was a lot of fun. And I actually came away really liking this movie a lot. I liked it much more than the first movie. Um, it is truly epic in scale. But it's it's the kind of movie that feels big and grand, but it doesn't feel overproduced. Uh, obviously, it's like a big sci-fi blockbuster, and there's plenty of visual effects and things that go into it. But it all feels pretty uh, tangible still, and it doesn't feel like there's nothing that looks terrible when it comes to the, the CGI uh, or anything like that. So it, it never feels like it has this unnecessarily larger-than-life uh, vibe to it. It just works as a big, grand, epic blockbuster. Um, and, you know, and, and it has, you know, really compelling story arcs for its characters, things that tie into, you know, religion and using religion uh, as a weapon. Um, I, I was particularly impressed by Timothy Chalamet in this movie. You know, I, I feel like most of the time he's 
uh, got fairly limited range, uh, but I was surprised to hear his line delivery in some of these uh, scenes. He, he does effectively come off as being very intimidating. Uh, Austin Butler is, is great. He's a complete maniac in this movie. He just <laughs> looks like a psychopath. <laughs> uh, Christopher Walken has, has a great bit part. Um, there are some really cool action sequences, uh, truly thrilling action sequences. And I can't recommend to you enough to make sure you see this in a theater that has like the top quality sound system, because I saw it in a Dolby Atmos theater and man, the sound just fucking blew me away. Um, (laughs) it was, it was incredible, incredible sound. So, so yeah, really, really dug Dune 2. I, I was surprised I liked it as much as I did because I wasn't expecting to come away. Uh, but it's, it it really is an incredible sci-fi movie. Man, I'm so excited for this. I'm seeing it, I think, the Thursday that it opens, so like next Thursday. So I've got that date circled on my calendar. Um, how was Florence Pugh in it? Is she like a, a very small role? Cause I, yeah, I think- she's she's not in it as much as you would hope or think. She, she has uh, a pretty small supporting role, and she's, she's not given a ton to do. She's, she's perfectly fine in it. And it's just because she doesn't have much of a role. So, yeah. so, so put your expectations in check if you're really excited about seeing Florence Pugh. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Uh, okay. And then you also saw Drive Away, Drive Away Dolls, which is um, Ethan Cohen and Trisha Cook's new movie. I think this one technically comes out this Friday. I've not seen this yet. What do you think about this one? This was a lot of fun. Uh, this really feels like a throwback movie, uh, a kind of... Uh, comedic caper that would have come out in like the the late 90s or something like that uh there's even aspects to it that have kind of like a 1970s vibe as well but uh yeah in this movie margaret qualley uh and geraldine viswanathan play these uh two lesbians who are on the road they're trying to take a little bit of a road trip uh and they pick up a a driveaway rental which is like uh apparently a, a seemingly real thing that exists where like you can go and pick up a car that's being dropped off somewhere uh, and it's like a one-way trip to get somewhere uh and so they do that but there's some nefarious things in the back of the car if you've seen the trailer you know what i'm talking about uh and so they get kind of caught up in this world of like crime and intrigue and whatnot uh it's it's has the kind of dark comedy um and and edginess you'd expect from a coen brothers movie uh but it is it is uh super gay uh very super lesbian movie and and uh (laughs) margaret and and geraldine are, are they're both funny in it um, and they're, they make for a great, uh, duo on the road and it's, uh, it's just very enjoyable. It really is just like a fun caper with ju- just the right tinge of absurdity, the kind, the kind of silliness you would expect from, from one of the Coens. Excellent. I'm very much looking forward to this as well. Uh, especially in this sort of like bleak period, uh, in the movie release calendar when it seems like there's not really a lot out, uh, right, right around now. I'm glad that this movie is coming out and will give me something to look forward to. So, uh, okay. I watched a documentary called call me Kate, which is about Catherine Hepburn, one of the greatest actresses of all time. Uh, it's sort of like a cradle to the grave, look at her life. And while I thought there were like a few bright spots in this, I was ultimately left pretty disappointed. There are interviews with family members that are ostensibly there to, Uh, kind of provide some personal insight, like a personal touch into the lives of these legends, uh, especially Hepburn. And then there are also, the movie also talks a little bit about uh, Spencer Tracy, her lover and frequent collaborator. Um, But the family members that they get in this documentary are like so far removed from the actual subjects that their observations didn't really strike me as particularly revealing or even interesting in some cases. Like I think Spencer Tracy's great, great grandson talks about Spencer Tracy for a minute in this. And I'm like, I kind of feel like, you know, people who have written biographies about Tracy might know more about him than a relative that's, (laughs) that's far separated. You know, it's just kind of a weird choice. So there are actual audio recordings of Catherine Hepburn herself, which are a little bit more enlightening, but to me, this kind of felt like they didn't. The filmmakers didn't really have quite enough material to work with, and were kind of like padding things out a little bit, which is not a great feeling to have when the movie itself is less than an hour and a half long. So, uh, anyway, it's on Netflix right now. If you're like a huge Catherine Hepburn fan but don't know anything at all about her life, uh, I would recommend maybe checking it out under those circumstances. But like, I just wish this was a little bit more um, informative and insightful and interesting. So, it's called Call Me Kate. If you want to check that out. Uh, I also watched Babette's Feast, which came out in 1987. The reason I watched this is because this is supposed to be, um, if you look up lists of like the best movies about food, Babette's Feast is often at the top of that list. And um, The Taste of Things, which was one of my favorite movies uh, 
it's weird to say of last year it had a limited release last year and technically came out like in wider release uh just like i think last week um so that movie is in theaters right now the taste of things terrific terrific movie i think rivals babette's beefs if not if not bests it and will best it uh, on all of these future lists of the best food movies um I think that movie is great. And so I was just in the mood to check out more movies about food. And this is a a Danish movie, I believe. And it's about this uh, woman who comes to basically be a servant in this very, very, very small 19th century Denmark town on the remote Western coast. And she, most of the movie is um, just about the small town sort of religious life in this really, really isolated community. And then, uh, the character who is the servant, the the chef, the cook, the whole the whole deal at uh, at this house wins the lottery, and she decides that she is going to um, make a full like French meal, a French dinner uh, for this group of people who live in this really small religious community, and they have taken uh, a vow basically to because they're so religious that they don't want to express any sort of um emotion about the food they they think that it you know that's a sin or something like that right so like they're they're being treated to this sumptuously prepared meal like the entire back 45 minutes last 45 minutes or hour of this movie or something is dedicated to this character making this incredible meal and serving it to these people and then you just as the audience you're just watching them eat and have this like you know transformative once in a lifetime experience of eating this amazing food but being under these uh these restrictions where they can't really talk about how amazing the food is so um it's just a fun sort of dynamic there and like yeah the the scenes where uh this character babette actually like makes the food and um and serves it to these folks are just like really stunning and it's one of those movies that you absolutely should not watch on an empty stomach so um i I thought like for the first i don't know hour or so i was like is this really like a food movie like they really are gonna have to stick the landing on this for this to justify its placement on all these lists that i've seen it on uh and then because there's really not a lot of food stuff at all in the first half of the movie or whatever uh but then it really comes through in the end so babette's feast is streaming on max right now uh and i recommend checking out if you like food stuff okay um have you ever seen Gilda, Brad? The movie, uh, you might recognize the movie Gilda from uh, the scene in The Shawshank Redemption where uh, there's a movie night in the jail and, or in the prison and um, Morgan Freeman's character and Tim Robbins' character are talking and Morgan Freeman's like, wait a, wait a, wait a second, I, I love this part or something like that. And the, the camera cuts to the screen that they're watching and Rita Hayworth like throws her, like comes up into frame and throws her hair back and everybody in the jail like freaks out. Uh, have you ever seen Gilda? No, I haven't. I'm, but I'm like you know, it's one of those movies where I'm aware of its legacy, especially because uh, Rita Hayworth has that famous quote where it's uh, like, "Every man I knew they they went to bed with Gilda and woke up with me." Oh wow, I've never heard that. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, yeah, that's crazy. Uh, so anyway, I, I really enjoyed this movie. It's about a small time a man American gambler who uh, is in Argentina and he meets up with this casino owner and ends up becoming the casino owner's right-hand man. And everything seems to be going really well until the owner leaves on a business trip and then comes back with a wife who just so happens to be the gambler's ex-girlfriend. And that is uh, the Rita Hayworth character, Gilda. Um, From there, it's basically like a series of psychological power plays in order to establish dominance in this triumvirate that they've um, established. And it's, uh, yeah, it's just a very, very... Uh, entertaining movie it came out in 1946 charles vidor directed it um glenn ford plays one of the the main roles and he was really great in like the big heat for example so uh yeah it's got a, a good cast and this is one of the um yeah certainly like one of the biggest rita hayworth movies out there so uh check it out it's called gilda it's streaming on tubi right now if you want to watch that i think you can watch it just like for free with ads basically uh and the last thing i wanted to mention is i rewatched the sting for the first time in a long time Have you ever seen the sting brad yes i have it's been a while since i've seen it but i i, I did watch it and it's very good yeah, it's just su- such a blast. Um, I mean, this is like one of the great con man movies of all time. It stars, it stars uh, Paul Newman and Robert Redford. And it's just, I mean, I- I'm not going to get into like the ins and outs of what happens because that's sort of like the the joy of watching this movie. But if you like things like the Brothers Bloom or yeah, any sort of con man type of thing, uh, David Mamet's House of Games, for example, 
um, you got to go back and check out the, the Sting, which is just like a really one of the all time classics in this subgenre. Um, Newman and Redford are so much fun to watch. And Robert Shaw, I mean, if you only know him from his work as Quint in Jaws, this is a really fun Robert Shaw performance because yeah. he plays the villain in this. Um, just, yeah, like really good music, memorable uh, production design, like everything looks cool and, and sort of came together in the right way. I think it was, this was nominated for something like 10 Oscars and it won seven of them. So um, yeah, just a, a real classic movie. I, I had no idea that a sequel was made because one of the things that happens uh, is uh, th- there is a con that's pulled on somebody in this movie, unsurprisingly. And so at the end of the movie, I, you know, after as the credits were rolling, I was kind of thinking like, huh, I wonder what happened after this movie ended. Like these characters, several of them are still alive. So like, I wonder what happened in the, the continuation of this story. And then I discovered that there's a movie called The Sting 2, which is apparently terrible. <laughs> I've never seen it. And it like recast everybody and like none of the original players came back or anything. Um, I think maybe the original writer came back or something. But uh, otherwise, it was just like, oh, boy, I'm probably going to be skipping that one, just pretending that it doesn't exist. So <laughs> anyway, I would recommend watching The Sting, which is on Netflix right now, if you want to check it out. George uh, Roy Hill movie. as a filmmaker has such a, an eclectic career. Uh, like, so he did Butch Casting the Sundance Kid and The Sting, his, probably his two most famous movies. But then he also did Slapshot with Paul Newman. Oh, wow. He did uh, The World According to Garp. Uh, he did Slaughterhouse Five. And then his last movie was Funny Farm, of all things, with, with hmm. Chevy Chase. And I just recently watched Funny Farm for the first time uh, not too long ago. And when I saw that George Roy Hill directed, I was like, what? <laughs> Yeah, that is that is quite an eclectic uh, collection there. That is, yeah, he's like all over the place in terms of genres and stuff. I mean, I guess that's like I feel like filmmakers were more um, I don't know they were maybe given more leeway to do that back back in the day, especially back in like the old golden age where people were just like cranking out you know multiple movies a year and all of that. Um, but uh, but yeah, I guess the the seventies like maybe people had um, more freedom to bounce around in genres and maybe weren't quite as uh, as pigeonholed as they are now but um anyway yeah uh shout out to george george roy hill who did a terrific job with this thing um okay let's get into what we've been eating what have you been eating recently brad uh i've been trying some new stuff i I, actually i guess there's a big fast food crossover in in these items i only just now realized after i cherry picked things i want to talk about uh so when i went to london for the argyle junket uh whenever i get the opportunity to travel uh abroad it's pretty much only been been england except for australia that one time um but i always try to get some cool uh treats that are available over there because they have uh unique chips and chocolates and other snacks and stuff that are only available uh in the uk and i like to get them to try them and so uh one of them that i tried was uh there's a a popcorn brand called proper proper popcorn and they have a flavor of popcorn where it's seasoned uh like kfc as in like the the fried chicken seasoning recipe uh, so huh, like yeah. a like a piece of chicken, like 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 the like the seasoning that um, makes up makes up all the flavors and spices of the breading on the Kentucky Fried Chicken, basically. Okay. Uh, so I I just had to try it. Um, and it's it's surprisingly good. It's uh very very peppery has uh has some great flavor to it. Uh, and it really did remind me of the seasoning that comes on the the original recipe chicken that you would get from Kentucky Fried Chicken or KFC as it's better known now. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Well, Uh, I I mean, I'm just kind of surprised that that flavor would go well with popcorn. But yes, uh, and they uh, they actually have uh, they didn't have them there. At least I couldn't find them while I was there. They they also did some potato chips that have the same seasoning. And uh, rotisserie chicken itself actually is a a popular regular flavor of potato chip over in the UK. So there you go. Who knew? Okay. Yeah. Uh, I also tried uh, Wendy's has a new breakfast item. They have a breakfast burrito. And I know that when you think of Wendy's, you think I would love a burrito from Wendy's. <laughs> um, but breakfast burritos are a little bit easier to come by if you're, if you're not necessarily doing Mexican food. And so they take their, their breakfast uh, foods. They take some, some eggs, bacon, uh, a little bit of sausage. And they have this uh, special cheese sauce that they put, wrap it in a tortilla, uh, a little bit of their, their potato wedges that they have at breakfast as well. Uh, and they just they put it in a in a breakfast burrito, and it's it's solid. I actually really enjoy Wendy's uh, breakfast options. Um, it's you know they kind of similar to how like their quality of burger is a little bit better than like McDonald's or Burger King. I kind of feel the same way 
about, I would say like maybe like half of their breakfast menu. And it's mostly because of the breakfast baconator, I think is particularly good. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the breakfast burrito is, is solid. I, if, if I really want like the better fast food breakfast burrito, Taco Bell is like your, the place that you should go to. But, uh, it was, I, I, I enjoyed it for the most part. Okay, well, speaking of Taco Bell, you tried something yeah. from there, right? Yeah, they have a new item, uh, the cheesy chicken. Uh, actually, I, I put empanada here, but it's the it's crispanada, actually, because people love making up words. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so it is a it's an empanada. It's it's uh, the the exterior is very very much like the caramel apple empanada that they used to have on their menu, which was like a dessert item. Um, but it, it is the the fried empanada shell, and inside of it, it has their shredded chicken. Um, and a, a cheese sauce and a little bit of their uh, their chipotle sauce as well. Um, and that's actually really good. It, it gets a little uh, hairy as you get towards the, the middle because it's it's very goopy because of like it's just like chicken and sauce inside of it. So you got to be careful because otherwise it'll, you know, drip down your, your chin and it can be potentially <laughs> messy. Um, but it's but it's it's solid if you, if you like Taco Bell's, you know, uh, cheesy chicken offerings. <laughs> Okay. Uh, this next thing you're going to talk about, I actually saw on the shelf in my store. I feel like a lot of the stuff that you talk about is like relatively obscure for me, but I, I don't really, you know, go out and seek out these wild foods that you're always eating. But this one made its way to the shelves of my local Publix. Um, tell me about this next there thing. There you go. Yeah. So uh, there's a new flavor of goldfish. Uh, for, uh, strawberry shortcake is what it's called. It's um, inspired by Hello Kitty. You'll see Hello Kitty on the bag because people love Hello Kitty, I guess. Uh, and the flavor is inspired by the dessert, strawberry shortcake. Uh, and so the the goldfish themselves, they're not the cracker goldfish. They're like the graham cookie goldfish. Uh, and they're coated in this flavored, strawberry flavored dust, which uh, to, to me, when I ate them, was very reminiscent of Crunch Berries from Captain Crunch. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, and so it, it basically tastes like they crunched up Crunch Berries and just dusted them all over these uh, these graham crackers. And so that to me... That was delicious. I, I really liked it. And so the combination of the strawberry with the graham does make for a good strawberry shortcake uh, combination. There's not necessarily any cream aspect to it, which I feel like was maybe the one thing that was missing. Maybe they could have put like a little bit of some kind of glaze on the on the grams or something like that. But mm-hmm. uh, but otherwise, it's a, a nice a nice sweet uh, cookie sort of treat. Before we get into your last thing here, I have to ask you, like, because you're constantly trying so many new things, do you even have a normal rotation of snacks that you go to or are oh, for you sure. constantly in the, in the zone of like, all right, well there's like 15 things that I need to try. So like you never really fall back on your old reliables. No, no, I, I, I definitely have like my old standbys because like I need a break in between stuff because, because oftentimes not oftentimes, but like sometimes I'll get something and it's, it's not something that I like very much, or it's not something that I want to particularly like snack on regularly it's like oh okay I'm, I'm glad i tried that and then like i'll have other people try it or i'll i'll take it to somebody's you know uh house for like you know so everyone can can try it like at a party or something like that mm-hmm. um and so but yeah so i definitely have like regular standby things like i love um uh i love dark russet potato chips from uts uh you know mm-hmm. I, I like i like nacho cheese doritos um i i love a good regular oreo um so yeah I, d- I definitely have you know my my standbys of things that i'll i'll normally uh get for that i know that i'm gonna want to snack on at some point okay that makes sense yeah uh, all right so tell me about this last thing here this last thing is easily one of the weirdest things i have ever tried and once wow. i heard <laughs> once i heard about it I, I i could not resist uh getting getting it to try to find out what what it tasted like because it was just too intriguing uh, to, to let by. And so I, I saw this because another snack person that I follow on Instagram posted about this. Uh, there's this chocolate company. Um, and I don't know if it's just TCHO or if it's pronounced Cho, uh, but they, it's uh, Cho and they make their chocolate company online. Um, and they, there was a very limited edition, uh, chocolate that they offered that was called Choco Nachos, N-A-T-C-H-O-S, inspired by, you know, their name. Um, and what it promised was the flavor of nachos, as in nachos and cheese, in chocolate form. 
what? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I could see like aesthetically, you know, like creating a chocolate thing that looks like a nacho. But how in the hell do they get the flavor or did they get the flavor into the actual chocolate? That was what was so mind blowing because they they really did get the flavor of nachos into this square of chocolate now and so chocolate by itself is not naturally sweet it's usually it's sweetened by sugar so to have chocolate that doesn't have a sweetness to it is isn't surprising itself but what is surprising to it is that they were able to get the flavor of meat and cheese and spice into this and so like oh my god the stri- got meat in there <laughs> yeah and, and and the texture of tortilla chips because it has a little bit of a crunch to it as well and so, so here's here's what the ingredients are, the, or the chocolate is made with: cocoa butter, tortilla chips, garlic, chives, red peppers, onions, cilantro, tomatoes, jalapenos, cayenne pepper, and extra smoked paprika. It's all in this little chocolate square that is like the size of a Starburst, basically. Um, and it was they only made 500 little bags of this. It was a very limited batch. They sent me a bag after I requested to to try it because I just couldn't I couldn't let it go. I was just like, how does this taste? <laughs> and it's it's so confusing because you put it in your mouth. And uh, it's, you know, so, and you chew it a little bit and it's strange because you don't expect this kind of flavor to come from something with this kind of texture. Yeah. Um, it has the texture of like a chocolate square as you're chomping it up. But then you start feeling uh, the you feel a little taste the cheese. You feel like the, the, the spiciness, um, the, the meat flavor is there. There's a little bit of crunch from the tortilla chips. And after after you're chewing it and it starts melting in your mouth, it just feels like you just took a bite of a chip that had chips and, and cheese and whatnot on it. It was so such a weird thing. Like I imagine that eating this was was very similar to how it would feel to have that gum of a, that has a three course meal in it from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> yeah. uh, it was just a very strange experience to have, and it's, and like it it wasn't a bad flavor either. Like, I was expecting to be grossed out by it because like I'm the person who. The, I will say like the weirdest thing that I've probably tried and simultaneously the grossest is they came out with one time they did these um, taco truck jelly beans and one of them was uh, was salsa and that was fucking disgusting. <laughs> uh, and then they did uh, they did this um, uh, tailgate uh, bag of candy corn and one, two of the candy corn. One was hot dog and the other one was hamburger. And those oh, almost God. made me those almost made me throw up. <laughs> um but but this the the flavor was genuinely good it was just a weird texture combination that like my mind was like wait a minute how is this happening um so so yeah i it's not the kind of thing where like i would sit and have several bites of this but i was not like grossed out or anything by it it was just a confusing flavor experience but i'm i was happy to have tried it Wow. Yeah, that is kind of mind blowing. So Chaco Nachos from TCHO. Uh, yeah. It sounds like it was pretty limited. Do you know? Yeah, if, like, I, I don't still know. Available? I know the, the, the number on my bag was 356 out of 500. And this was around the time that like the Super Bowl was happening. So I would imagine they're probably sold out by now. But at the very least, keep an eye on their website because they do have some cool flavors. And I'm sure that they offer other unique things from from time to time. So very cool. Okay. Uh, the last thing here is the what we've been playing section. I just wanted to mention that i played spider-man 2 for the ps5 uh i got a ps5 like right after christmas and um the first spider-man game from 2018 i reviewed for slash film so i had like a very very limited amount of time to play the game i think i had to play through the entire thing in like three days to in order to write the review and, and meet the embargo time um but this time the game's been out for a little while so i like definitely took my time with it and really enjoyed playing this it's basically uh, it's a darker story. It's like the Empire Strikes Back of Spidey stories. Um, they do some really interesting things with like the typical Spider-Man canon, like upending a lot of um, established ideas, uh, specifically the origins of Venom, who is a major force in this game, and like how Dr. Connors, aka the Lizard, lost his arm, and there are a few more things that I won't spoil here. Um, but yeah, I just I found the the story to be pretty fascinating and and compelling. And then like the, in terms of the actual like game mechanics, there's the introduction of something called web wings, which are basically like flying squirrel wings between Spider-Man's arms and his torso, which totally changes the dynamic of traveling around the virtual New York City in this game. And like, I can't imagine going back to the way that the first game was, which I loved at the time and still love. I assume Um, it makes it a lot easier. It's so much easier and it's so much fun because you're basically just like, it's almost like you have the ability to... Uh, be Spider-Man at any time, but you also can be like um, 
Superman is too strong because you're you're not really powered while you're flying. It's more like falling with style, you know, more like gliding. Uh, so maybe like Batman or something like that, like the bat wings or whatever. But yeah, you can basically just like gain a bunch of speed swinging through the city and then just pop out these wings and just like cruise through the sky. It's so cool. So much fun. Nice. Um, and so, yeah, this game is just a, a total blast and it looks incredible. Like the character design actually looks really bad, like super jarring uh, compared to the first game, the, the actual like what Peter Parker, the human man, and what like um, Mary Jane Watson and Miles Morales, some of the main characters uh, actually look like compared to the, the character models of the first game. I was like, Jesus Christ, like this is supposed to be the better version. Like PS5 is supposed to be better than PS4. Like what did they do here? But you eventually sort of get used to it and then everything else in the game looks unbelievable so uh it's very easy to you know sort of like overcome that little hurdle um but i think there were a lot of people like clowning on the character designs when this game first came out so uh anyway is this one that's like sort of on your your long list brad i know that on the on previous episodes of this podcast you talk about how you're like five years behind when it comes to video game stuff but yeah well i um, think i think i mentioned too that uh that i would love to have a playstation 5 and spider-man 2 and no one at sony sent me a playstation 5 (laughs) uh so yeah they weren't listening to that episode unfortunately pretty bummed uh no but but actually my one of my friends who has a playstation 5 actually just recently let me borrow his because he's uh he's more into the computer side of gaming now and he hasn't been playing his playstation 5 as much and he already uh made it through spider-man 2 so uh, he gotta play it yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna hop on soon and i'm gonna play that and he also let me borrow um uh and he, he also has uh star wars uh jedi survivor so since i just recently beat fallen order finally i'm gonna i'm gonna try and tackle both of those uh sequels here pretty soon nice okay yeah awesome well you have to come back on and tell me about that once you uh speed through those so um cool all right well i think that's going to do it for today's episode of the show you can find a lot more of the things that we talked about uh, at slashfilm.com i will try to link to a few things in the show notes as well slash film daily is published every weekday bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and tv as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site you can subscribe to the show on apple overcast spotify wherever you get your podcasts please subscribe to our newsletter send your feedback questions comments concerns and mailback topics to us at bpearson at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to take a minute to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That really does help us out a lot. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you all tomorrow. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 